in the nation of Israel. And Lord, we've learned what sin does and what happens if we pursue and do things it is right in our own eyes. And Lord, we know that there are serious consequences and repercussions and there's captivity and, and there's bondage and, and we end up being spiritually impoverished. Just those things that we saw that happened that are recorded here in your word. So Father, I pray tonight as we look at these chapters that can be difficult to look at, I pray that uh, we would understand there is a reason for you recording these things that we may see and learn uh, how good your ways are and how freeing you are. And Lord, what it happens when we go the way that is wrong in a way that uh, we think is right in our own eyes. Father, I, tonight I do pray for those who are, Lord, um, displaced from the fires uh, there in um, Boulder Canyon. And Lord, I'd like to lift up all those who uh, have lost their homes, uh, everything. And Lord, perhaps those who don't know what has happened to their homes. Father, I pray for comfort, and I pray that you would bring Christians and others that will come and bring comfort to them and, and minister to them. And Father, we pray that you would work in drawing them to yourself. Father, I do pray for Pastor Richie Furay of Calvary Chapel Broomfield, who lives up in, in Boulder County, uh, Boulder Canyon. And Lord, um, Lord, we don't know what's happened to his home. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you be with Richie and Nancy and their family and just minister to them. And perhaps they're wondering or maybe they know the outcome as tonight. And Lord, we just remember them. Father, I also just lift up um, those that we love very much in this fellowship um, who are sick. And uh, we pray for Darlene who's going through uh, radiation and, and now today started uh, chemo. Lord, we pray for John out in Oklahoma who went through surgery and we're thankful that it went well. We just lift up John and Karen to you. And Lord, for others that, that I've talked to that, that have family members that, Lord, are, are sick and afflicted physically, we just lift them up to you. And Lord, we pray that you would work in their lives in a powerful, miraculous way. And Father, tonight, that as we come in with perhaps our hearts aching, and Lord, and breaking, that, that Lord, that... Um, you would, through these words even, minister comfort and instruction to us. And Lord, that we would take this and realize how blessed we are as a people that know you and know your ways. So again, we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 19, And it came to pass in those days that there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim, and he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. In verse 3, Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank, and they lodged there. So in chapters 19 through 21, what we're going to see as we finish this book is a story that's going to unfold, that's going to, again, show us how the nation, because of their rebellion uh, against God and, and turning away from the Lord, we're going to see really how they had declined uh, spiritually and morally in these days of the judges. And here we have a story of a Levite that's from Ephraim that is now going to Bethlehem 
to go after his concubine who played the harlot, who was unfaithful to him. And she went to her father's house there in Bethlehem, was there for four months. It's interesting, in chapters 17 and 18, we saw the story there of a Levite that was from Bethlehem that went to Ephraim. And he would then lead the people, and particularly and specifically the tribe of Dan, as they relocated up north, into idolatry and false worship. Here we have a, a Levite that's from Ephraim that's going to Bethlehem. And remember, as we've discussed, as we've been going through the Old Testament, that the Levites were to be the religious and spiritual leaders of the nation. It was from the tribe of Levi that the priests would come from, of course, being the direct descendants of Aaron, but also the other Levites were to assist the priests in the tabernacle ministry, later on the temple ministry. And you recall that as the Lord brought them into the promised land, and as their inheritance were divided up, the Lord said to the Levites, I'm going to be your inheritance. You're not going to receive a large allotment of land, but you're going to live in 48 cities, and there you're going to dwell in those cities. And the whole purpose was that no one was more than a day's walk from a Levitical city that the Levites stayed in, that they could go and receive some spiritual counsel and guidance from those spiritual leaders. So the Levites were to be the spiritual leaders of the nation. And of course we saw that as they came into the promised land and as they dwelt in the land that God had set up in his religious and, and civil laws, that the Levites were to be taken care of, that they were to receive the, the first fruits of the harvest. They were to receive the tithes there at the tabernacle. And so they were to be provided for by the people. In these days, I think what we see here in the book of Judges is, is that that had stopped because here was this Levite that we saw in chapter 17 that was in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not one of the 48 cities of the Levites. <coughs> He's out looking for a job when he runs into Micah. And, of course, you recall what happened, that he was involved in idol worship and uh, was there in the mountains of Ephraim in, involved in that false worship. So here was one that was to be a spiritual leader of the nation that was leading people into false worship. Well, here we have a Levite that has a concubine. He's from Ephraim, and he's going to go to Bethlehem, as we saw here, to get his concubine that played the harlot on him. And we see that he goes there in verse 4. There the father-in-law was happy to see him, and so he is there for three days, and they ate and drank, and they lodged there. So here is this Levite, and instead of praying for the nation, instead of one that is really brokenhearted over the condition of the nation, he's there partying, and he's drinking, and he's being merry and all of this, and we're going to see that it continues on. So you can see the spiritual condition, even with the leaders that, of the nation, the ones who were called to be the leaders spiritually. And you see it is um, something that, that is very much of trouble when the leaders that God has called begin to, to fall away from the Lord. And as I mentioned on Sunday, it was Isaiah the prophet that would bring the word of the Lord to the leaders of Judah when they were leading the people into false worship at that time later on in their history after the days of the judges. And it was the Lord that rebuked them strongly. And so the religious leaders here leading the people into false worship, not being ones that are leading in the way that God had called them to. And so verse 5, And it came to pass on the fourth day that they arose early in the morning, and he stood to depart. But the young woman's father said to the son-in-law, Refresh your heart with a morsel of bread, and afterward go your way. 
So they sat down, and the two of them ate and drank together. Then the young woman's father said to the man, Please be content to stay all night, and let your heart be merry. In other words, let's continue to drink all night. And Verse 7, And when the man stood to depart, his father-in-law urged him, so he lodged there again. In verse 8, then he rose early in the morning on the fifth day. So after, you know, four days going on to the fifth day, he wants to depart, but the young woman's father said, Please refresh your heart. So they delayed until afternoon, and both of them ate. And when the man stood to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, his father-in-law, the young woman's father, said to him, Look, the day is now drawing towards evening. Please spend the night. See, the day is coming to an end. And lodge here that your heart may be merry. Tomorrow go your way early so that you may get home. However, the man was not willing to spend the night. So he rose and departed and came opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. With him were the two saddle donkeys. His concubine was also with him. So this father-in-law talks them into staying an extra day on the fourth day. They go into the, the fifth day. And it's late afternoon. And instead of getting an early start so he could get home, to a place where, where uh, he lived, he is leaving late in the afternoon. And so we're going to see that as the story unfolds, he's going to have to stay somewhere. And as he leaves with his servant and his concubine, which was not a wife in the way that um, we think of a wife. In those days, you can have a wife, you can have a concubine. It's difficult because here he's, uh, the concubine's father is being referred to as a father-in-law and those kinds of terms. And, uh, but here he leaves with his concubine, and they're going to go back home to Ephraim where he lives. And they pass by Jebus, or that is Jerusalem, and so, verse 11, they're near Jebus, and the day was far spent. So the servant said to his master, Come, please, and let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and lodge in it. So here they leave, and they go by what was later known as Jerusalem. Now, at this time in the days of the judges, as we've discussed, that the Jebusites were dwelling in that area of Jerusalem. It was not the, the tribe of Benjamin that had driven them out. You recall that when Joshua came into the promised land, they had great victory against the Canaanites and all the different tribes of the Canaanites. But they did not completely drive them out. And one of the areas where the tribe of Benjamin was uh, over was that area that encompassed Jebus or Jerusalem. And it interests me that the Jebusites would dwell there for hundreds of years after Joshua came into the promised land until the days of David. And it would finally be when David was king that he would take um, that hill there uh, where uh, the Jebusites dwelt, the city Jebus, and he would conquer that city and that would be the birth of Jerusalem and it would then be uh, a city that would belong to the children of Israel. And of course that's where the temple would be built uh, where God said, this is the holy site, uh, the spot that the temple will be built and where you're going to come for worship and where the sacrifices are going to be done. But for hundreds of years, the Jebusites dwelt there. And so the, he doesn't want to stay, this, this Levite from Ephraim, there in, in Jebus because of the Jebusites. They're foreigners. We, we don't want to stay there. They're not of the house of Israel, as he says in verse 12. His master said to him, We will not turn aside here into the city of foreigners who are not of the children of Israel. We will go on to Gibeah. So Gibeah, it belongs to the tribe of Benjamin, and they are of the children of Israel. 
So as we continue on, we read in verse 13, So he said to a servant, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend a night in Gibeah or in Ramah. And they passed by and went their way, and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in to lodge in Gibeah. And when he went in, he sat down in the open square of the city, for no one would take them into his house to spend the night. So we know as we went through the Old Testament, that according to Leviticus chapter 19 and chapter 25, the children of Israel were to show hospitality, particularly to their brethren. And what they would do when they went in and they built their cities and and established the land, that in those cities, if you were traveling and you needed to lodge somewhere, remember, there was no Holiday Inn Express at this time. There was no, you know, Motel 8 that they could stay in. And so the way that God had set it up is that you were to open up your home to your brother. So in the cities, they would have the the town square, uh, which was an open square there in the middle of town. And if you were traveling, you would go to that town square, and you would just kind of wait there, and then somebody would come by and open up their home to you. So that's what he's doing here. And it says that no one would take them into his house to spend the night. One of the things that the Bible tells us in the New Testament as Christians is that we as Christians are to be hospitable according to Romans chapter 12, aren't we? So we are to be ones that are willing to open up our homes. And I think that when the scripture says that we are to be hospitable, that commandment given to you and to I, that it's more than just opening up our homes. It means opening up your heart. It means that willing to... to expend the energy and the time to minister to people and and to take time with them it might be showing hospitality by buying them some lunch or having coffee with them it might be opening up your home so we as christians are called to be hospitable i know hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 that interesting verse that we saw not long ago when we were going through the book of hebrews that don't forget to be hospitable to strangers because some have entertained angels unwill, um, unknowingly. So that's an interesting kind of verse. But also, as an elder, one of the qualifications as an elder, according to 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 3, is that they are to be hospitable. So all throughout the New Testament, we are told that you and I are to be hospitable towards others. And it was the same with the children of Israel. With that said, I think that as that command is given to us to do that, to, to be willing to open up our hearts and our lives and maybe even our homes to, to, to people, to those who are in need, I think we still need to be wise in that and discerning in that. And what I mean by that, I've had many people over the years come to me and said that I've opened up my home to family members or to brother and sister, and it just continues on, and they're taking advantage of the situation, and Here's the thing, when we are hospitable to somebody, it's to help them. It it's, should be a place where they're being ministered to and a, a place where even they're receiving, um, you know, uh, that example, godliness from you. Um, and we want to make sure that, that we are wise in, in being hospitable because sometimes if you're not careful, you can open up your home, for example, to family members or somebody that you know. So you are actually enabling them in their compromise or in their sin or in their carnality. And I have known people that have opened up their home and pretty soon they're saying, you know, Pastor, 
they, they, they're taking advantage of the situation. They're not helping out. They said they were going to look for a job, but they're just laying around on the couch, and it's been six months, and they're not looking for a job. Or they go out, and they're partying, or they're bringing alcohol into the house. They're bringing drugs into the house. Do you see what I mean? So we need to be wise and discerning. You are responsible for what goes on underneath your house. So make sure that you are seeking the Lord as you open up your heart, your homes, your lives to other people. And make sure that they don't bring things into your home that are detrimental to your home. And so you don't want to enable people to continue on a path that is not pleasing to the Lord or a path where they continue in sin or compromise or carnality. So just be wise as we open up our homes, being hospitable as God has told us to. So here he is. He's in this open square. In verse 16, just then an old man came in from his, his work in the field that evening, who was also from the mountains of Ephraim. And he was staying in Gibeah, whereas the men of the place were Benjamites. And when he raised his eyes, he saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And so he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah towards the remote mountains of Ephraim. I am from there. I went to Bethlehem and Judah. Now I am going to the house of the Lord, but there is no one who will take me into his house. And although we have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for myself, for your female servant and for the young man, who is with your servant, there is, is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace be with you. However, let all your needs be my responsibility. Only do not spend the night in the open square. So this old man, he knows something, right? He's saying, Don't spend the night here because we're going to see that this city is full of wickedness and perversity. And this old man knows that. And so he says, don't spend the night here. You need to come with me. So he brought him into his house and gave fodder to his donkey. And they washed their feet and ate and they drank. And so here they are being um, hosted by this man who is also from Ephraim. And so he brings him into his house. And it seems like so far, okay, the story's not too bad. But now it's going to, as we continue on, take a turn for the worse. And, and we're, it is very, very um, you know, much uh, a dark story, a hard story to look at. But verse 22, as they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. And look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now. Humble them and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. So we see here a story that you look at and you think, how can this be? But it shows the great decline spiritually and morally of the nation during the days of the judges. It shows us what happens when a nation, a group of people, an individual does what is right in their own eyes. It can lead to great perversity and great wickedness. Such is the case here in Gibeah. And so here they are. They're in the house. Men of the city come knocking at the door and said, Who is this man that is in your house? Send him out that we may know him carnally. Now you may be thinking in the back of your minds, this story sounds familiar, doesn't it? And of course it does in the book of Genesis 
when the angels came to Sodom to, to get Lot and his family out of the city because God was going to bring fire and brimstone upon the city. And as these angels came, they're there in the open square. And they, they are there, and Lot meets them there, and they want to stay in the open square. And Lot says, no, you come to my house, you stay there. And as those angels did, all of a sudden there's a knock on his door, remember? And they want to know those angels. They didn't know the men of Sodom that they were angels. We want to know those men carnally, sent them out here. And Lot said, don't do this great wickedness, but here are my two daughters that they're virgins, you take them and do what you want to with them. Amazing, isn't it? And guys, I want to remind you, first of all, as we look at this, and that what we are called to do as leaders of our homes, to protect our homes. And, and this backward thinking, this, this willingness to sacrifice. You know, the man, his daughter, and, and, and this, the other Levi, the concubine here, his concubine, was like a wife to him. To just say, here, do what you want to with them. And men, I pray that we would never, ever get to the place where we compromise our family, our children, to evil that is knocking on the door. Because as we talked about on Sunday, there is all kinds of evil that is knocking on the doors of our homes, trying to get in. And one of the things that we're going to see in our first week when we go through that series of Standing Firm in Perilous Times, that Paul, when he was writing his last words to young Timothy, he said that in the last days it's going to be perilous times. Not that it might be, or it could be, or it's a possibility. He said it will be perilous times. And he gives a description of men, how men are going to be lovers of self and blasphemers and haughty and prideful and disobedient to parent, all that description. But he's going to go on, Paul, and say that in that time, in the last days, that imposters and evil men are going to grow worse, trying to get into the households of those who are gullible. And you see, it was a problem in the early church, and it's, it's increased to where in the days in which we were living, because I believe we are in the last days, that there are going to be evil men, those who want to bring evil and imposters trying to get into our homes. And you see, it's a lot easier in the day in which we live to get into our homes because it can come in via the television and videos and the computer, the Internet, all kinds of ways that it can creep into our homes. And men, make sure, leaders of your homes, whoever it might, whatever it might mean for you, protect your homes. Don't sacrifice the people that you love and your family's men from, from the evil that is out there. Don't just say, well, you know, it doesn't matter. And here we're going to see an indifference and an insensitive heart from this Levite who's going to send his concubine out there. The scripture tells you and I as husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We need to be willing to lay down our lives for our spouse and for our children for our families. So here we see that, that this, this host is willing to give up his daughter, the man's concubine, in verse 25, uh, the man would not heed him, so the man took his concubine and brought her out to them, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning, and when the day began to break, they let her go. And then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the man's house, 
where her master was till it was light. Again, he goes to bed. He goes to sleep. And this terrible crime and act of wickedness and perversity is taking place. You can see what happens again to the nation. And what is really disturbing is Sodom was a pagan city when we see a similar story there of of Lot and the men and the perversity there. This is supposed to be God's people here at Gibeah. And this is how far they've gotten away from the Lord. And that's why it concerns me, even concerning our own nation, how far that we are getting away from the Lord. And I'll tell you the truth, because the scripture, I believe, shows us this, particularly in the book of Judges, and also in another time in their history, as you see the prophets of the Old Testament talking about that when there is a doing what is right in your own eyes and falling away from the ways of the Lord and doing what is right in his eyes, that it leads to sin, it leads to carnality, it leads to wickedness and perversion. And sometimes we hear the stories, don't we, on the news, and we think, how can that be? How can can you know somebody do something like that how can these things keep happening in our nation because i think what happens is that perversity can lead to greater perversity it just get deeper into it and so that's what we're seeing happening here and here's this levite who is supposed to be a spiritual leader he goes to sleep he's so desensitized and insensitive and It's unbelievable. One of the things that I think that we do need to be careful about is being desensitizing uh, towards, you know, the immorality and and decline of spirituality and carnality and all that we see around us. We can see it on the TV. Oh, there's another act of, you know, of, of infidelity. There's another act of adultery on the TV. We don't care. It's on every night. It's on every show. And we go to bed and we don't even think about it. Because we become desensitized to those things. We need to be careful that we don't just drift in that area. Where it's like, oh, no big deal. So there's all this carnality, all this immorality that's all around us. That's just the way the culture is. And we go to bed and turn the light off. And that's what this man does. So verse 27 again, When their master rose in the morning and opened the doors of the house, he went out to go his way. And there was his concubine falling at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up and let us be going. But there was no answer. And so the man lifted her unto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. So apparently the indication here is that she died, and um, that's why there was no answer, because of, of the abuse and the crime and, and, the, and the, the, the act of rape here by the men of the city towards her all night long and so verse 29 when he entered his house he took a knife laid hold of his concubine divided her into 12 pieces limb by limb sent her throughout all the territory of israel and so it was that all who saw it said no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of israel came up from the land of egypt until this day consider it confer and to speak up so again the heartlessness of this levite who was supposed to be a man of god He cuts her up in 12 pieces, sends the 12 pieces to each of the 12 tribes of Israel to send a message to them. And now we're going to see that civil war is going to break out, chapter 20. 
So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead, and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mitzpah. So again, remember, whenever you see that term from Dan, that's way up north. Remember, last week we saw in chapter 18 the Danites relocated way up north there by Mount Hermon. So the north end of the country, the Beersheba, which is down south. So they all gather here, and there's going to be war that, that's going to take place as Israel is going to go to war against the Benjamites. Verse 2, And the leaders of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Then the children of Israel said, Let us... Tell us, that is, how did this wicked deed happen? And so here is all the tribes meeting. They meet with this Levite, and they say, you know what, we got the message, okay? So how did this happen? So verse 4, the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, my concubine, and I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me, uh, and they intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, sent her throughout all the territory and the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. So he tells the story. But isn't it kind of interesting as he tells the story, he leaves some of the details out? They came against me, they were going to kill me, and instead they ended up killing my concubine. Well, he left out the part that he sent her out there, willingly. And he left out the part that he went to bed, and he went to sleep, and he did nothing about it. You know, one of the things that I have learned when talking with people is, in, when they bring a case against somebody or against something that has happened, uh, usually they'll leave out details. And they'll leave out some important information. And I've learned to be able to ask questions, and I know that you do as well as you get older, to be able to ask some questions. And there's usually more to the story that takes place. And always remember, if somebody brings a case against somebody, that there's two sides to each story as well. So here is this Levite that he brings his story. He leaves out some of the details, the fact that, you know, he sent his concubine out there, and the host's daughter almost got handed over as well. And so he says, look, give your advice, your counsel here and now. Now the scripture says that there is safety in a multitude of counsel. But when you go and get counsel from somebody, it better be godly counsel. And go to somebody who's going to give you the word of God and the truth of what the word declares to you and who's spiritual and mature, who's going to pray with you that's where there is safety in a multitude of counsel. Remember that ultimately that Jesus, the Lord, he is the wonderful counselor. So always go to the Lord, go to the word of God, and then you can go to brothers and sisters that will pray for you and give good godly counsel. But make sure that you're doing that, okay? Be wise in doing that. So here he, he asked for what is it that we're going to do? So we read in in verse 8, so all the people rose as, as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lots. Hey, we're going to wipe out Gibeah. We're going to go to war. 
And so verse 10, we will take 10 men out of every 100 throughout all the tribes of Israel, 100 out of every 1,000, 1,000 out of every 10,000 to make provisions for the people. And when they came to Gibeah and Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they had done in Israel. <clears throat> so all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. And the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occur occurred among you? Now therefore deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. So they're set on going to war. They send a message to the tribe of Benjamin. You need to deliver these men who did this thing so they can be put to death. Now, according to God's law, that's what was to happen. And the men of Benjamin said, forget you. We'll go to war against you. We are not going to deliver these men to you. We're going to show loyalty to them. There is a problem when we show loyalty to men over loyalty to God. They were neglecting and negating what the Word of God had to say. And loyalty is a good thing. But we need to remember that loyalty to God is a priority. And sometimes in our loyalty, if we're not careful, again, we can enable somebody to continue in sin, continue in carnality, because we don't want them to be dealt with, or we don't want to deal with them, or they, they get in trouble. I've seen that with parents towards their children. They'll make every excuse for their child and the trouble that they're in. But our loyalty is first to God. And yes, loyalty is a good thing. But it's to Him. And you never want to enable somebody to continue in something that is not pleasing to the Lord, that is sin, that is carnality. And here the men of Benjamin said, you know what? We're not going to hand these guys over. We'll go to war. And so... We see in uh, verse uh, 14, Instead the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities to Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at the time of the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who numbered 700 select men. So here is 400,000 of the children of Israel going to go against 26,000 of the men of Benjamin, 700 of them are select men. In verse 16, all of his people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. So this is the elite fighting force, like special ops. These guys are like, you know, specially trained left-handed, really accurate with their slings. Remember Ehud in chapter 3? He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was left-handed. The tribe of Benjamin was one that in their tribe they were able to produce great warriors and, and many of them were left-handed. And um, they were ones that um, were very specially trained uh, um, in warfare and great warriors. And so they're going to go to war, verse 17. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel, number 400,000 men who drew the sword, all of these were men of war. And then the children of Israel rose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah first. So the children of Israel, in verse 19, rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin, and the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. And then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah, and on that day cut down to the ground 22,000 men of the Israelites. So it's interesting, isn't it? They went and they sought counsel of the Lord. They said, Lord, uh, which, you know, 
of us should go up against Benjamin first. He says, Judah. And all of a sudden, you know, they're getting wiped out. 22,000 men on the first day lose their lives. Why would the Lord do this? They sought counsel, didn't they? I think there's an important lesson perhaps in this. You know, they set themselves in battle array. They were determined, we're going to go to war. And they not, did not ask God whether we should go to war. They're determined, so they go to God and they say, you know what, Lord, which of us is going to go first? Oftentimes in our lives, what we will do is we'll come up with this, this great idea, and it may be noble, and we want to do ministry, and we're going to do outreach, and we're going to reach these people, and God get behind us and bless it. And we never really asked of the Lord. And you see, what we need to do is say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And then we want to get behind you. Rather than, Lord, we're going to make our plans, we're going to go this direction, and Lord, you bless it. And on the way, and as we're, we're in those plans, by the way, Lord, what should we do here? Did the Lord really call you to do those things? And that's why it's very important that everything that we do in our lives, everything that we do in ministry, individually, and as a church, that we really seek the Lord on it. And say, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And humble ourselves and really seek him. And hear his voice and say, Lord, we want to be behind you and what you want to do. So here, 22,000 men of Israelites died, verse 22, and the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line of the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. And then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel, all who drew the sword. So all of a sudden here we see that they're told to go up as they sought the Lord and 18,000 are lost. So what's up with this? Is God playing games with them, confusing them? No, not at all. It could be, perhaps, that this was a chastening of all his people in this day that was a period of darkness spiritually. God chastens those, disciplines whom he loves, as we know from the book of Hebrews. God perhaps truly wants them to humble themselves and to seek him. I don't know exactly why. But you know what? God's ways are true and righteous. It could be that, that God is desiring to get them to really come to him. I do know this, that you can be on God's side and be walking with him and living for him and desiring to grow in his word and you can still experience loss. I do know that. And we've had those in this fellowship over the, the last few months that they love the Lord and, and they're, they're walking with the Lord and men and women of prayer and they've experienced loss. But as I've told you many times, when you are confronted with those things that you don't fully understand, fall back on the things that you do understand. And that is his goodness and his faithfulness. And God is working and God loves you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. 
So I don't have all the answers for this, but they go back to the Lord. Verse 26, the children of Israel went up and came to the house of God and wept, and they sat there before the Lord and fasted that day till evening, and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired the Lord, the ark of the covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up for tomorrow, I will deliver them into your hands. I, I sense here more humility, more seeking the Lord, their fasting. The humility comes by, they said, Shall we go up against our brother? Against our brother Benjamin? Or shall we stop? And now the Lord says, go up, you're going to have victory. So verse 29, Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as at the other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and, and were drawn away from the city and began to strike down and kill some of the people as of the other times in the highways, one which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah, and in the field about 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, They are defeated before us as at first. But the children of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose to their place and put themselves in battle array at Baal Tamar. Baal Tamar, Baal, the false gods. So they're naming their cities after uh, their false gods. And then Israel men in ambush burst forth from their position in the plain of Geba. And 10,000 select men from all Israel came against Gibeah. And the battle was fierce, but the Benjamites did not know the disaster was upon them. And the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and all the children of Israel destroyed the day, um, uh, 25,100 Benjamites, all these drew the sword. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated, and the men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites, because they relied on the men in ambush, whom they had set against Gibeah. So in verse 27 through uh, verse 37 through verse 46 is kind of a recount here of this ambush. And again, it's very familiar to what we read in Joshua chapter 8, what happened at Ai, remember? They set up that ambush. Joshua and the children of Israel stood before Ai, and the men of Ai said, hey, there they are again. We'll go out and defeat them like we did the you know first day and they were so confident that they'll defeat the children of Israel. And as they ran out of the city, the men to do war, then all of a sudden there was others that were behind the city of Ai came up and they burned the city down. And, and so the men of Ai realized that this was a trick. This was an ambush. They are caught between these two divisions. And that's essentially what happens here. As we read, go down to verse 43. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah towards the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All these were men of valor. And they turned and fled towards the wilderness of the rock Rimmon. And they cut down 5,000 of them on the highways. And then they pursued them relentlessly up to Gibbon and and, um, killed 2,000 of them. And all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. And all these were men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled towards the wilderness to the rock Rimmon. And they stayed at the rock Rimmon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down at the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities that they came to. So this ambush was the same way. The the children of Israel drew out the men of Benjamin. They said, we're going to have victory like we did in day one and day two. And all of a sudden they realized it was a trick. 
as all the children of Israel came in behind, burned the city of Gibeah, smoke went up. They were defeated soundly. You know what? Overconfidence will just kill you. Well, not literally. But it'll just kill your trusting the Lord and relying on Him. And it leads to pride and it leads to being haughty. And that's what happened with Benjamin. They were so self-confident that they're going to have victory once again. And they were deceived. You know, that's one of the devices and tricks of the enemy. Trying to get you to just, you know what, you got so much confidence, being full of pride, you know, relying on self. That's what he wants you to do because he knows that there's going to be a big tumble and a big fall. And we need to be ones that are relying on the Lord. Our confidence is in him, right? So 600 men turned and fled, as I mentioned, verse 47, verse 48. The men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword. Every city, man, beast, all who were found, they set fire to all the cities they came to. And now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. And then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be no be one tribe missing in Israel. This is what happens. There's only 600 men that are left. They're hiding in the wilderness. The children of Israel made this oath to God. They they swore. They said, we will not give our daughters, we will not give them to the tribe of Benjamin so they could continue on as a tribe. So all of a sudden they realize this harsh vow and and oath that they made to the Lord and they realize that oh no now the tribe of Benjamin is going to be wiped out they they're not going to be able to reproduce and we're going to lose a tribe so here is this harsh vow that they took and in this chapter that we'll go over for just a couple more minutes that we're going to see that they're going to try to find these loopholes to get around their vows and their oaths and that's why Jesus said on that hillside in Galilee that you and I don't give oaths. Don't, don't swear. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Because what happens is, is when we give oaths or vows to the Lord oftentimes, they will be unreasonable. Now, he's not putting a, uh, uh, saying that we can never give an oath or a vow. When we get married, we exchange vows, don't we? But what the Lord is saying is, as a Christian, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Be committed to what you say, yes or no, very simple. But what can happen is, is, Lord, I'm in this pickle, I'm in this situation. If you get me out of this situation, or you help me, you help me defeat this thing, then I'll read my Bible for three hours every day for the next three years. And it's unrealistic, and then we fail in that. So the Lord is saying, say yes, say no, okay? But here is this harsh vow. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 tells us, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, that is mature, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. He did not say in a spirit of meanness or harshness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. So here is the children of Israel just being so harsh with this, this vow, and they realized they wept and said, we're going to have a tribe that's missing in Israel. So verse 4, so it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly of the Lord? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who had not come up 
to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So here was another oath that they made. The oath was, if no one came up to help us in the battle against Benjamin, that they're going to be put to death. That was the oath that they made. So they're thinking, who didn't come up? So, verse 7, what shall we do for the wives of those who remain, seeing that we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives? And they said, what one is there from the tribes of Israel who didn't come up? It to Mizpah the Lord, and in fact no one had come from the camp of Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent out their twelve thousand of their most valiant men, and commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the sword edge of the sword, including the women and children. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male, every woman who has not known a man intimately. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is the land of Canaan. So they go against this city who was not a part of this battle, and they end up wiping out the city. Talk about harsh, because we're not going to give our wives over to them. So we're going to do evil here to try to get around this oath to the Lord. It's all mixed up, isn't it? And sometimes we hear that with people in our society. They'll try to act spiritual, and I'm going to do this, and I gave this oath and this promise, and it's just weird, and it's warped, and it's, you know, they end up doing wrong and evil things. They try to, to keep this oath that they made and trying to sound spiritual, and that's what's happening here. They're all mixed up and messed up because they're doing what is right in their own eyes. And so verse um, uh, 13, the whole congregation sent word to the children of Benjamin who were at the rock of Rimmon and an announced peace to them. So Benjamin came back at that time and they gave them the women who they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead and yet they had not found enough for them. There's 600 guys, we only have 400. Now inheritance was very important. So there's 200 guys, they need to have an inheritance, they need to have wives, so what are they going to do? Well, Verse 16, the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for wives, for those who remain, since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? And they said, There must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we can't give them wives from our daughters. Uh, we can't give them our daughters. We've got to keep our you know, own daughters and our vow that we made. So, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to Benjamin. So verse 19, they said, In fact, there's a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebanon. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie in wait in the vineyards and watch. And just then the daughters of Shiloh came out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, and each man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin. You've seen seven brides for seven brothers. Same thing, okay? They're going <laughs> to kidnap these, these young ladies that are coming to Shiloh for this feast. You 200 guys, you know, this celebration they're coming to, jump out of the bushes and get yourself a wife and kidnap them. So it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain that we shall say to them, be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the water, for it is not as though you give them the women at, to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. In other words, when people begin to complain and the fathers and stuff saying, why did this happen? Say, you know, just cut them some slack. You know what? We didn't give them wives. They took wives. And this is a loophole that we're finding in this. So, 
Verse 23, the children of Benjamin did so. And they took enough wives for the numbers from those who danced, whom they caught. And they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. You can see what happens in verse 25, the whole theme of the book of Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It leads to confusion, doesn't it? It leads to just weirdness. It leads to doing things that are wrong when you think it's right. And it leads to depravity and perversity and wickedness and sin and carnality. That's what happens. And if there's one message that has screamed at us as we've gone through this book, it's that message. We need to do what is right in the eyes of God. Living for Him. Because the difference between the book of Joshua, right? Joshua... They led the children of Israel in and they stood on the promises of God, were obedient to God, and they had great victory and experienced that abundant blessing that God had for them. And that's what God has for you and for me. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And as we walk in obedience, and walk in love with the Lord, and walk in His ways which are good, because Lord, I know that Your ways are true, and Lord, that I'm going to be free, not in bondage as I walk in your ways, and I'm going to experience the fullness and the richness of your blessings and abundant life that you have for me. You walk in your own ways, and you're going to experience bondage and captivity and consequences and repercussions that are going to bring heartache and hurt that are going to bring confusion to you because God's word is true. And so, Father, we thank you that in this book that we've gone through, the book of Judges, hasn't always been easy. But, Lord, we have looked at it to our Lord. We see and we learn that, Father, that we are to be ones that are walking in your ways. And as we close this book and as we close the service tonight, Lord, I pray if there's any of us that are here in this room, that as we sit here, that if we have compromised in any way or we're doing what is right in our own eyes, maybe in some area of our lives, that, Lord, that we would confess it, we would give it to you, and, Lord, just once again receiving your forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. And Lord, that we would always be ones that we trust in your ways, knowing that they are good and that they are true. And Lord, that we would stand on your promises. And Lord, that we would continue in your ways. And Lord, that we would be a light to others. And Father, I pray that with the evil out there knocking at our doors and around us in our lives, that we would be ones that we would be continually being washed by the water of the Word. And Lord, be established in your Word. And Lord, not having self-confidence, but Lord, relying on your Holy Spirit that lives in us to empower us to live the way that you desire for us to live. Father, I pray that we would continue to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
and the knowledge of your word, but work it deep within our hearts, that it takes root there. And Lord, that we would be ones that are wise, being established, Lord, experiencing the fullness of your blessing, the fullness of, Lord, your goodness that you have for us as we just look to you and trust in you. Father, I pray for those tonight who need your wisdom and need your provision. Lord, that you would just bless them, that all of us would know as your children we can come to our loving Father and cast our cares upon you. And whatever challenges that we have, Lord, that we would seek godly counsel and seek your word. Whatever decisions need to be made, Lord, that we make sure that we get behind what you're doing and, Lord, not come up with our own plans. But, Father, just being sensitive day by day and step by step to walk after you, Lord, to walk in your ways, that you lead us, Lord, and you empower us to live that life in the way that you desire for us to. Knowing that your commandments given to us, you enable us to be able to keep those commandments. And you enable us to live that life after you, that abundant life. And so, Father, I thank you for this time that we've had together. Work on behalf of your people. Bless us, Lord. Bless us tonight as we go home. Take us home safely. And, Lord, just bless our weekend coming up. We look forward to the things that you have for us. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. And, Lord, help us to just continue our trust in you and what your word says. And our love, Lord, may continue to grow day by day. So thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.